Chapter Twelve of Memoirs of Madame Vigée Le Bon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. Memoirs of Madame Vigée Le Bon by Elizabeth Louise Vigée Le Bon, translated by Lionel Strachey. Chapter Twelve moscow no more dreadful fatigue can be imagined than that which awaited me in the journey from st petersburg to moscow the roads i counted upon as being frozen as i had been led to believe were not yet in that condition the roads in fact were terrible the logs which rendered them almost impracticable in severe weather not being as yet fixed by the frost rolled incessantly under the wheels and produced the same effect as waves of the sea my carriage was half covered with mud and gave us such terrible shocks that at every moment i expected to give up the ghost for the sake of some relief from this torture i stopped halfway at the inn of novgorod the only one on the route where so i had been informed i should be well fed and lodged being greatly in want of rest and faint with hunger i asked for a room hardly was i installed when i noticed a pestilential smell that made me sick the master of the inn whom i begged to change my room had no other to give me and i therefore resigned myself but soon seeming to observe that the intolerable stench came from a glazed door in the room i called for a waiter and questioned him as to the door oh he calmly replied there has been a dead man behind that door since yesterday that is probably what you smell i waited for no further particulars got up had my horses harnessed and started taking nothing with me but a piece of bread to continue my journey to moscow i had accomplished but half of the journey whose second part was to be more fatiguing than the first not that there were any high hills but the road consisted of perpetual ups and downs which i called torture the climax to my annoyance was that i could not amuse myself with a view of the country through which i was traveling since a thick fog veiled the scene on all sides and this always depresses me if one considers besides these tribulations the diet i was restricted to after i had eaten my piece of bread it will readily be conceived that i must have found the road very long at length i arrived in the former immense capital of russia i seemed to be entering ispahan of which place i had seen several drawings so much does the aspect of moscow differ from everything else in europe nor will i attempt to describe the effect of those thousands of gilded cupolas surmounted with huge gold crosses those broad streets those superb palaces for the most part situated so far asunder that villages intervened to obtain a right idea of moscow you must see it i was driven to the mansion which monsieur dimidoff had been kind enough to lend me this enormous building had in front of it a large courtyard surrounded by very high railings it was untenanted and i promised myself perfect peace after all my fatigue and my forced diet my first concern as soon as i had appeased my hunger was of course to sleep but bad luck to it 
at five o'clock in the morning i was awakened with a start by an infernal din a large troop of those russian musicians who only blow one note each on their horns had established themselves in the room next to mine to practice perhaps the room was very spacious and the only one suitable for this kind of rehearsal i was careful to inquire of the porter if this music was played every day upon his answer that the palace being uninhabited the largest apartment had been devoted to this purpose i resolved to make no change in the customs of a house that was not my own and to look for another lodging in one of my first expeditions i called on the countess stroganov the wife of my good old friend i found her hoisted on top of some very high affair which did nothing but rock to and fro I could not imagine how she could endure this perpetual motion, but she wanted it for her health, as she was unable to walk. But this did not prevent her being agreeable to me. I spoke to her of the embarrassment I was in on account of lodgings. She at once told me she had a pretty house that was not occupied, and begged me to accept it. But because she would hear nothing of my paying a rent, I positively declined the offer seeing that her efforts were in vain she sent for her daughter who was very pretty and asked me to paint this young person's portrait in payment of rent to which i agreed with pleasure thus a few days later i settled in a house where i hoped to find quiet since i was to live there alone as soon as i was established in my new dwelling i visited the town as often as the rigors of the season would permit for during the five months i spent in moscow the snow never melted. It deprived me of the pleasure of seeing the environments said to be admirable. Moscow is at least ten miles round. The Moskva cuts through the town and is joined by two other small streams, and it is really an astonishing sight, all those palaces, those finely sculptured public monuments, those convents, those churches, all intermingled with pretty landscapes and villages this mixture of urban magnificence and rural simplicity produces an extraordinary fantastic effect which must please the traveller who is in search of something new the churches are so numerous in this city that a popular saying runs moscow with its forty times forty churches moscow is supposed to contain four hundred twenty thousand inhabitants and commerce must be on a large scale because in a single quarter, whose name I have forgotten, there are six thousand shops. In the quarter called the Kremlin, there stands the fortress of the same name, the old palace of the Tsars. This fortress is as ancient as the town, said to have been built about the middle of the twelfth century, and is situated on an elevation at the foot of which flows the Moskva. But there is nothing remarkable in the style excepting its antiquity close to this pile whose walls are flanked with towers i was shown a bell of colossal dimensions half embedded in the ground and i was told it had never been possible to raise it in order to hang it in the palace chapel the cemeteries at moscow are stupendous and following the custom prevailing all over russia several times a year but especially on the day that in russia corresponds to our death day the cemeteries are filled with vast crowds men and women kneel at their family tombs and there give vent to loud lamentations which may be heard a long way off 
a habit as universal in moscow as in st petersburg is the taking of steam baths there are some for women and some for men only when the men have taken their bath coming out of it as red as scarlet they go out and roll in the snow in the most extreme cold to this habit the vigor and sound health of the russians have been attributed it is very certain they know nothing of chest maladies or rheumatism a pleasant walk in moscow is the market which is always to be found provisioned with the rarest and most excellent fruits it is in the middle of a garden and is traversed by a broad avenue which renders the place fascinating it is quite proper for the greatest ladies to go there and do their buying in person in summer they repair thither in carriages and in winter in sledges i had observed that in st petersburg society formed so to speak a single family all the members of the nobility being cousins to one another at moscow where the population and the nobility are far more numerous society becomes almost the public for instance you will find six thousand persons in the ballroom where the first families meet around this room runs a colonnade on a platform a few feet above the ground where the persons who are not dancing can promenade and adjoining are various apartments in which people sup or play cards i went to one of these balls and was surprised at the quantity of pretty women i found assembled i can say the same for a ball to which marshal soltikoff invited me the young women were nearly all of remarkable beauty they had imitated the antique costume i had suggested to the grand duchess elizabeth for catherine the second's ball they wore cashmere tunics edged with gold fringes gorgeous jewels held their short upturned sleeves in place their greek headdresses were for the most part tied with bands adorned with diamonds nothing could have been more stylish or luxurious than these costumes they beautified even this class of lovely women of whom no one was prettier than the next one i especially observed was a young person soon after married to prince tufakin her face whose features were regular and delicate wore an excessively melancholy expression after her marriage i began her portrait but was only able to finish the head in moscow so that i carried off the picture to finish it at st petersburg where however i before long heard of the death of that charming young lady she was scarcely more than seventeen years old i painted her as iris seated on some clouds with a billowy scarf about her madame soltikoff kept one of the best houses in moscow i had paid her a call upon arrival she and her husband who was then governor of the town showed me great kindness she asked me to paint the marshal's portrait and her daughters who had married count gregory orloff son of count vladimir at this time i was doing a picture of countess stroganov's daughter so that by the end of ten or twelve days i had begun six portraits without counting the likeness of the good and genial madame ducresse de villeneuve whom i was charmed to meet again in moscow and who was so pretty that i insisted on painting her an accident that might have cost me my life deprived me of the use of my studio and retarded the completion of all these works i was enjoying perfect peace in the house loaned me by countess stroganov but as it had not been inhabited for seven years it was horribly cold 
i remedied the evil as far as possible by heating all the stoves to the utmost in spite of this measure i was obliged to leave the fire lit in my bedroom at night and was so frozen in bed with the shutters hermetically closed to say nothing of a small lamp burning near me to moderate the air that i tied my pillow all round my head with a ribbon at the risk of being stifled one night when i had succeeded in going to sleep i was awakened by suffocating smoke i barely had time to ring for my maid who declared that she had put out all the fires i told her to open the passage door scarcely had she obeyed when her candle went out and my room and the whole apartment was filled with thick sickening smoke we broke the windows as fast as we could not knowing where this dreadful smoke came from it may well be imagined how anxious i was i then sent for one of the men who lit the fires and he informed me that another man had forgotten to open the cover capping the pipes which is on the roof i think relieved from the alarm of having set countess stroganoff's house on fire i went to look at my rooms all upset that i was near the room where i gave my sittings was a large stove with two doors in front of which i had put marshal soltikoff's picture to dry i found this portrait so thoroughly scorched that i obliged to do it over again but what gave me the most pain in this night of trouble was my inability to have removed at once a collection of pictures by various great masters sent me by my husband they of course suffered very much by five o'clock in the morning the smoke had only begun to disperse and as we had broken the windows the place was no longer tenable but what were we to do where to go i decided to send to good madame ducresse de villeneuve she rushed over at once and took me off to her house where i remained a fortnight during which the dear woman showered attentions upon me which i shall never forget when i had concluded to go home i first went with monsieur ducresse de villeneuve to examine the premises although the windows had not yet been replaced the whole house was still so redolent with smoke that it was impossible to think of living in it then i was exceedingly put out at this when count gregory orloff with that courtesy which is the natural heritage of the russians offered to lend me a vacant house belonging to him i accepted his offer and immediately went to settle in my new lodgings here by the way the rain poured in so hard that madame soltikoff coming to see me and wishing to stay a few minutes in the room where my pictures were exhibited asked me for an umbrella but in spite of this new form of discomfort i remained in the house until my departure from moscow the russian nobles display as much luxury at moscow as at st petersburg moscow possesses a multitude of splendid palaces most richly furnished one of the most sumptuous belonged to prince alexander kurikin whom i knew in st petersburg where i had twice painted his portrait on learning that i was in moscow he came to see me and invited me to dinner with my friends the comtesse ducresse de villeneuve and her husband we found an immense palace ornamented externally with royal magnificence every room through which we passed was more handsomely furnished than the one preceding and in most of them was a picture of the master of the house either full or half-length 
before leading us to table prince kurikin showed us his bedchamber which surpassed all the rest in elegance the bed standing on a raised platform laid with superb carpets was encircled by richly draped columns two statues and two vases with flowers stood at the four corners of the platform chairs of exquisite taste and divans of great price rendered this room a habitation worthy of venus to reach the dining-room we traversed broad corridors both sides of which were lined with liveried serfs holding torches which made me feel as though i was taking part in some grave and solemn ceremony during the dinner invisible musicians overhead diverted us with the horn playing i have already referred to prince kurikin's large fortune allowed him to maintain the establishment of a king he was an excellent man politely obliging toward his equals and not in the least haughty to his inferiors i also dined with prince galitzin universally sought after because of his affable and friendly ways although he was too old to sit down to table with his guests forty in number the luxurious and very abundant dinner nevertheless lasted more than three hours which tired me inexpressibly especially as i was placed opposite a tall window through which came a blinding light to me this banquet seemed unendurable but by way of compensation i had the pleasure before eating of going through a fine gallery containing pictures by great masters mixed it is true with some that were rather mediocre prince galitzin whom age and illness kept to his armchair had charged his nephew with doing me the honours this young man being ignorant of painting limited himself to explaining the subjects as best he could and i had difficulty in refraining from laughter when before a picture representing psyche being unable to pronounce the name he gave me the information that is fishy this long meal at prince galitzin's reminds me of another which probably never ended at all i had engaged to dine with a big stout enormously wealthy banker of moscow we were eighteen at table never in my life did i see such a collection of ugly and insignificant faces typical faces of money-makers when i had looked at them all once i dared not raise my eyes again for fear of meeting one of those visages there was no conversation they might have been taken for dummies if they had not eaten like ogres four hours went by in this fashion and i was bored to the verge of nausea at last i made up my mind and feigning indisposition i left them sitting at the table where they perhaps still are it was an unlucky day for that evening a rather comical episode occurred though it did not amuse me in the least for some reason or other i was obliged to make a call upon an english woman a lady of my acquaintance took me there and left me for some time after promising to come back for me as ill luck would have it this englishwoman knew not a word of french and myself not a word of english and it may readily be conceived how great was our mutual embarrassment i still see her before a little table between two candles lighting up a face as pale as death she thought it her duty from politeness to keep talking to me in a language i could not understand and i reciprocated by addressing her in french 
which she understood no better we remained together more than an hour which hour seemed to me a century and i imagine the poor englishwoman must have found it just as long at the period when i was in moscow the wealthiest resident of the town and perhaps of all russia was prince bezborodko he could have raised it is said an army of thirty thousand men on his estate so many peasants did he own these people as everybody knows being considered as part of the soil in russia on his different properties he owned a large number of serfs whom he treated with the greatest kindness and whom he caused to be instructed in various trades when i went to see him he showed me rooms full of furniture bought in paris from the workshops of the famous upholsterer daguerre most of this furniture had been imitated by his serfs and it was impossible to distinguish between copy and original it is this fine work which leads me to assert that the russian people are gifted with remarkable intelligence they understand everything and seem endowed with the talent of execution thus the prince de ligne wrote i see russians who are told to be sailors huntsmen musicians engineers painters actors and who become all these things according to their master's wish i see others sing and dance in the trenches plunged in snow and mud in the midst of musket and cannon shots and they are all alert attentive obedient and respectful prince bezborodko was a man of high ability he was employed in the reign of catherine the second and of paul first as secretary to the cabinet and then in seventeen eighty as secretary of state for foreign affairs in his desire to avoid the countless appeals by which he was besieged he made himself as inaccessible as possible women sometimes followed him into his carriage he would answer their demands with i shall forget and if it was a case of a petition with i shall lose it his greatest gift was a thorough and exact knowledge of the russian language in addition to this he boasted a phenomenal memory and an astonishing facility of putting his thoughts into words i give a well-known instance in proof thereof on one occasion the empress ordered him to draw up a ukase which however a great pressure of business caused him to forget the first time he saw the empress again after conferring with him on several matters of administration she asked him for the ukase bezborodko not the least bit in the world dismayed drew a sheet of paper out of his portfolio and without a moment's hesitation improvised the whole thing from beginning to end catherine was so well pleased with this presentment that she took the paper from him to look at it her surprise may be imagined at the sight of a sheet that was quite blank bezborodko began elaborate excuses but she stopped him with compliments and the next day made him privy councillor another russian whose memory was as marvellous as prince bezborodko's was comte bertoulin whom i knew quite well at moscow where by the way we lived so far apart that whenever i supped with countess bertoulin i was obliged to go two miles the comte through his experience and his knowledge is one of the most remarkable men i have ever known he speaks all the languages with extraordinary ease and his information on all sorts of subjects renders his conversation infinitely fascinating 
but his superiority over others never prevented him from being very unaffected nor from treating his friends with good nature and generosity he owned a huge library in moscow composed of the rarest and most valuable books in different languages his memory was such that when he was recounting a historical or any other anecdote he could at once tell in what room and on what shelf of his library the book was that he had just cited i was greatly amazed at this yet a thing as fully astonishing was to hear him talk of all the towns of europe and their most conspicuous features as if he had lived in them a long time whereas he had never once set foot outside of russia for my part i know that he spoke to me about paris and its buildings and everything curious to be seen there in such complete detail that i exclaimed it is impossible that you have not been in paris the request made to me for portraits and my agreeable social circle ought to have kept me longer in moscow where i stayed but five months of which i spent six weeks in my room but i was melancholy and ailing i felt a need of rest especially of breathing in a warmer climate i therefore resolved upon returning to st petersburg to see my daughter and then quitting russia i was however held back for some days by an unusually severe attack of my general indisposition end of chapter twelve recording by james k white chula vista